Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper! He's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Gulping, screwing and replacing. How to drink water like a Premier League manager. Studs or moulds the Sunday league dance. An unfathomable fetish for free kicks into the box that drift all the way in. Football freestylers and their place in today's content landscape. Amateur rondo etiquette. Goalkeepers flirting with 18-yard box danger. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and this is the listeners' Mesut Harland Dicks for November. To run the rule over your footballing fascinations and irritations are Charlie Eccleshare, hello. Hello. And hello to you, David Walker. Hello. Quick little message from me, no more people doing the theme tune, please. The last thing we need is for this podcast to be about this podcast. But, but I enjoyed them all. I mean, they got steadily better in my inbox. So uh, pleased, pleased with that level of engagement, at least, Dave. Yeah, I understand the point you're making. I'll happily receive them on Twitter. If you want to send them to me, bring it on. Yeah, I just don't want to inflict them on the on the on the masses anymore. But yeah, people gave them a good stab, which means which means we're living rent free in their head, and that's all I want. Right before before we launch into November's Mesut Holodix, and they are so good this month, really, really good. I want to do a brief adjudication panel. First of all, how could we ignore this? Coming soon says Richard Keyes to TikTok. Richard Keyes official. Um, Charlie, what are the odds on him kicking off with time to see what the fuss is all about? (laughs) Yeah, short. Uh, I I can't really express just how excited I am about this. Um, I don't have TikTok. I've always kind of resisted it, but I think this could be what pushes me to get it. I mean, it's just going to be... If it's anything like... Do you remember those YouTube videos of the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff at the BN Studios... I'm all in. 2014 World Cup Diaries. There's that. And there was a Euro 2016 one as well. Um, Him, you know, driving into the office with Andy Gray and then seeing... That was the legends in the building. Life, my friends, is full of surprises. Yes, that was it. I mean, still be stuff like that. 
Well, I mean, this is the key question, Dave. What kind of format do you think his TikToks are going to take? Is it just giving him spouting his blog out in sort of bite-sized portions? <laughs> I don't. Is it like paragraph by paragraph? What is it going to be? The big question is whether he's got anyone helping him do it, because there, there is a sort of quite a reasonable subgenre of like middle-aged male celebrities actually finding a, a bit of success on on TikToks, sort or of yeah. aid, aided and abetted by their offspring. Usually, so like Gordon Ramsay, he's like massive on TikTok because he kind of started doing it with his kids and stuff in lockdown, and now he kind of gets it and he does all sorts of different stuff. Like Martin Scorsese and his daughter, they're like always on TikTok doing mad stuff. It's really endearing. So has Keezy got someone helping him, or is he just going to be doing it off his own back and kind of getting it wrong? I'm intrigued. He probably sees himself, Charlie, as in his Scorsese era now. You know, I've built my body of work, and now I'm just going to bask in it. But I yeah. might still have one or two gems left. <laughs> the elder statesman of uh, football broadcasting. I mean, I really hope it. he does retain the kind of rough and ready vibe that he has with the blog or with those kind of World Cup diaries or Euros diaries where it, it did feel really unfiltered. I don't want polished skis. I want it to be just him. You know, like imagine if someone got hold of that blog and, you know, put in some grammar and punctuation it would it would just lose the essence of keys i hope gray pops up at least because um it's a shame to see him fading from the scene as keys takes center stage um right second thing for the adjudication panel today paul merson was alerted charlie to the fact that it's uh, the anniversary of his debut for arsenal back in 1986 and uh, he tweeted what a rolls royce of a club Loved every minute of it. Charlie Jones and David Burrows inevitably ask, can a club be a Rolls Royce? Now, I mean, generally speaking, no, I wouldn't wouldn't really appreciate this. But I think you know, whilst I am slightly disgusted with the idea of indulging a football club's perception of itself, I think I think that Arsenal reckon they're a Rolls Royce and that they also broadly qualify if it was indeed a thing. They have sort of characterised themselves as having a, a classy approach to things and they are a grand old club. That's without question. The Marble so, Halls yeah, is very Rolls-Royce-y. <laughs> and except for the well-documented George Graham era, they have a reputation for playing good football and getting the ball down and playing, which surely is a prerequisite for being a Rolls-Royce club. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I've, I find this really funny because Keezy, linking back to him, is a classic one for, you know, if he wants to beat Arteta, you know, use that, so he'll be like, you know, there used to be a, this used to be a proper classy outfit until Arteta took over. Yes. Forgetting that Wenger was a massive moaner to referees and that they were always getting players sent off and all of this stuff. But certainly the, the popular perception has been, yes, pure class, um, Marble Halls, Herbert Chapman. I mean, is there a club that's sort of more, that feels more historical and kind of, you know, has, has that... I, I know there are other clubs with a rich history, but they really... You know, they, they play into that, I think, a lot with their PR. Yeah, it's true. I, I can't think of a club, Dave, out there who are as equally 2020s as they are 1930s. You know, that, that, that longevity of just being around and being established certainly lends them their Rolls-Royce-iness. But I, I don't think there are that many Rolls-Royce clubs in the world, Dave. Did they refer to themselves or were they known as the Bank of England club? That's a thing, I think, with Arsenal, once upon a time. There's always the suspicion that the Queen supported Arsenal. <laughs> like, there was establishment sort of vibes around yeah. around that whole sort of discourse around Arsenal. So, I, I they would, if you'd asked me the question, which, what's, are there any clubs that are Rolls Royces? Arsenal would have been my first one. Maybe, I don't know, like Aston Villa maybe have a little bit about them. Would I was that... thinking bigger than that, sort of Real Madrid. Are they a Rolls Royce club? I think maybe they're too, just... just too successful. I mean, like, like, I know Arsenal have been successful, but 
it goes a bit it's a bit different to just being the Real Madrid put too much effort into being Real Madrid <laughs> possibly but but I was thinking with, with the Rolls Royce element there's the design element here as well because the Emirates do you remember th- this was at a time where all those new stadiums were coming along the identikit stadiums and all of that Arsenal went to great lengths to make sure the Emirates was a bit different they got um, what's the name uh, they got quite a famous architect I think it was like Populous that's it, the name of the organisation that did it so I think they even in the way the stadium's designed and all the kind of aesthetics of the club I think there's a Rolls Roycean element there too. You could put a little miniature bust of Herbert Chapman on the front of a on the front of a Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah, or Thierry nice. knee slide. That would be that would be almost equivalent to the. Uh, is it an angel on the Rolls Royce? How do I not know this by now? Who knows? Right then, that's the education panel sorted for today. It's time for the listeners, Mesut Harland Dix. You have supplied us with your ultimate footballing, fascinations, irritations, that sort of thing. Time for you to get them off your chest. Um, We've got a lovely little selection, a lovely little cross-section of the footballing experience. Now, let's kick off with your fascinations. The first one comes from Rob Guppy. When I'm at a game and I have a bottle of water or a soft drink, I often see myself as a manager each time I pick it up in a break of play, have a sip, carefully screw the lid back on, place it very purposefully back by my feet often followed immediately by clapping, shouting at a player or passing comment to my support staff next to me. Gives me a little boost every time. Charlie, it is a is now a well-noted phenomenon of the deliberate drinking of water by Premier League level managers. What is the most deliberate part of the whole process? I think it's the screwing of the cap. Yeah, the screwing of the cap, but also the thing that I think sets apart is how quickly they do it it's really done at pace because right. I, think it, I think it needs to convey i'm so busy i'm taking this very small opportunity i can to take a teeny break and drink you know you, I, you, it's purposeful you don't see a manager just sort of like drinking a bit and taking a bit more it's all done in one go um <laughs> imagine just downs the whole bottle very deliberate action <laughs> Never happens. Well, they possibly could because they're always in that. They often now you see managers these really small bottles that seem oh, to be. What is that? De rigueur amongst football clubs. Absolutely insane. Is it? I don't know. Is it sustainability? What is it? In some cases, probably. Yeah. I don't know. Less sustainable, um, isn't it? Less plastic, but more bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more would, ratio of plastic it, to water. No, you're absolutely right. If, if it's plastic, yeah, but some aren't plastic. Some do have them in proper sustainable cartons I mean we joke about athletic long reads but yeah that's happening Dave I did I did pose to Charlie that the most deliberate part of the uh, deliberate managerial drinking water process was the uh, screwing of the cap but it's actually not is it it's the placing of the bottle down from whence it came that I find really odd they, they make a real point of putting it back you can't really just carry it the whole game they can't put it in their in their pockets so they do have to place it back but it does give them the good thing about having the bottle in your hands at that time is it gives you the opportunity to throw it if something goes wrong yes in a fit of peak but yeah it, I, I find it really odd I mean I mean I don't think Charlie it is genuine thirst I think it's nerves I think it's just patterns of behavior yeah and I, and I think it is just sometimes you need to do something to occupy yourself when you're I mean I always think for a manager it must be so weird that powerlessness you're kind of just stood there you're you're pacing around you're issuing instructions none of which you know are really going to be especially helpful so the more things you can do to occupy your time I'm sure loads of them do that thing because they're nervous I'm sure they're drinking way more than they want to be and are desperate (laughs) for the toilet and then you can't go you're like, oh, I've got 25 minutes to go that's an academic study I would read I had that exact scenario this Sunday just gone. So managing on the on the touchline. I don't. I'm not normally a big touchline drinker, 
but for, for whatever reason on this this occasion I I was just gulping down water and Lucasaid. Was it a I tense match? It was a big match. Yeah, it was quite close. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think that might correlate. <laughs> yeah, against relegation uh, rivals. Unfortunately, we lost three one to AFC Bluebirds. I, yeah, I had to go. To, I had to go to the toilet twice in the first half. Twice. Twice. Yeah. Wow. I was just gulping the stuff down. I was almost. I did sort of have a moment of like self-reflection where I was. I sort of caught myself sort of cosplaying proper manager. <laughs> but I was like sipping from the water. And then you do this thing. I tried to explain it to you the other day. To try and describe it is, is tricky. But I think you know what I mean. It's sort of once you've had the sip of water and I didn't actually put the bottle down. I sort of kept holding it. But I just, you just slowly put your hands behind your back. Sort of bow your head, look, look at the floor and then raise your head and kind of slowly pace across the touchline or the technical area <laughs> just sort I of can observing imagine this. yeah what's going on you sort of Who see that just do that a lot Pochettino does this it's Charlie. very Pochettino yeah right. I can see it so clear in my eyes like Pochettino this season in that blue jacket he's been wearing yeah it, it's, quite, it's quite a dignified way I think to especially if you've had a setback maybe a penalty decision didn't go for your team or went against them and you're there, you're there sort of looking on I was, yeah as you say Dave hands behind your back Impassively. I was trying to work out what scenario, exact scenario that they do this in, Dave. And when you mentioned it on WhatsApp the other day, I started pacing around my own room with my hands up thinking, where would they normally do? So I've narrowed it down, I think, in my own head to a kind of, there's been an incident that they feel is some sort of injustice, but it's not big enough like a red card or something. It's probably like a disallowed goal or something like that, where they've, they've, they're checking themselves a little bit and they've got, okay, got to ride this one out, got to suck it up. I've got to look like it doesn't bother me. And that kind of solemn sort of walk around their technical area with the hands behind their back is is just about right. It's the way to do it, isn't it? Just ride it out in a dignified manner. Yeah, I think so. I think it is a way of controlling your emotions, but also feeling like you're involved. I, I sort of think it sometimes mirrors, it can mirror the sort of rhythm of the match. So if there's like a particularly sort of nondescript passage of play that's like come to an end and like maybe you've been going forward and the ball just goes through to the keeper or goes out for a goal kick or something. Uh, okay. You sort of, you're kind of following the play with it as 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 you as you walk and then you sort of, when it stops, you sort of bow your head and kind of go back as, as if you were dropping off. You're kind of, re, you're resetting, you're kind of resetting <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we need to try this in the next live show. Um, uh, we'll see how vivid... We can make it. Right, let's stay in the world of Sunday League next. Here is Dave Mitchell. My uh, footballing fascination is the spring and autumn stud or mouldy conversation. Uh, I love it. Every Saturday uh, around that time, you'll go, you'll, you'll stand on the pitch, you prod it with your, with your trainers. You might jockey your weight from one side to the other and then you and a teammate will have, have the chat of... Oh, Think think that will take a stud today. Uh, teammate might say no, no, mouldy, mouldy's all day. Um, and neither of you going to change your mind. You'd already decided before the game which boots you're wearing. But you go through it because it's it's part of the dance, part of the ritual. And I absolutely love it. Right, Charlie, a, a journey here, quite literally, to the soul of football. First thing that concerns me about this one, before we get really stuck into it, is mouldies. I've never called them mouldies. No, I would always no. say moldy, moulds. Which I you don't think molded. is the most elegant oh, I'd say way of molds. doing it. Molds. So there's three yeah. ways of doing it. I would yeah. say moulds. Charlie goes with molds. Dave, what are you going for? I'm, I'm a molds man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's odd. But then I never really confronted it in my own head. Studs or molds? It sort of yeah you know, it goes okay. well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Syllabically, I'm all, I'm all for it. But I mean, this is a huge decision. But I, the one thing I really liked about this, Charlie, was the uh, just the doing the dance 
aspect mm. from Dave Mitchell here. It's just the it's just a part of the it's part of the ritual, is it? Do you know as well what you might sometimes hear, especially if it's been a dry summer? Someone would say something. Like, you could almost wear Astros on this. They generally wouldn't actually wear them, but it's just said as a thing to kind of emphasise how much this is a day for moulds and how dry the pitch is. It is by extension almost like talking about the weather, David. Is that kind of that sort of lazy, thrown-out observation? But on that point, Dave. I draw the line at wearing AstroTurf trainers on grass for an 11-a-side game. I am not a Europa League referee. It's it's a disgusting look and it doesn't feel right. The connection with the ball will be bad. Do not do it if you can avoid it. You do see them. At Sunday League, occasionally you'll see, you'll see a player running around in a pair of AstroTurfs for whatever reason on grass, even if it is like a bit wet or whatever, which is ba- absolutely baffling to me. The attention to detail from Dave Mitchell there in his submission, it is absolutely always expressed as this might might take a stud. Take a stud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, take a stud. On my one and only appearance for Ribblesdale Rovers this season, wearing my 1998 Predators on the, on the bonest hard pitch ever conceived turned out to be a huge mistake Charlie we talked about wearing AstroTurf trainers on grass for 11 aside what about the inverse situation then people who wear boots at five aside now I remember a period of playing office five aside which is a you know generally a less savvy form of football in many ways some people might turn Hoodies up in jeans being worn. yeah exactly a very laissez-faire approach to match preparation and a few people would get very kind of i don't know video nasties about people who wore boots to a uh, to five aside it'd be like and um, a few people are wearing blades could we just can we not wear them because it's a little bit dangerous no no it's football it's proper if you don't like it wear shin pads all i would say i did get a uh... And this ties into another Sunday League football cliche we've talked about before of the trend of sending round pictures of your kind of war wounds. Mm. Now, I didn't send around to a whole WhatsApp group. I did send around to one friend last week when I got a stud to the knee playing five aside. I mean, it was on the knee. It was one of those and it wasn't giving us a foul. So it was one to then vindicate me after and be like, that's how high he went. When that happens, you're a bit like, oh, it's a bit annoying you've worn a studded boot because you've now really put a gash on my knee. Yeah. Uh, Moulds, I mean, I, yeah, I've obviously, I, I t- personally tend to wear Astros for five aside, but Moulds probably have worn. I would say as well, just on the Astros 11 aside, I think I did wear Astros once for an 11 aside game because it was such a dry pitch. It had been uh, a hot, hot summer. The only advantage I would say, it suddenly took the pressure off a little bit. It kind of made you feel a little bit like you were playing five aside which yes there are downsides to that but it also made it feel like oh okay this is fine yeah I'm just playing a a more casual game rather than it feeling like the weight you know when you put your proper boots on you're like okay this is a a proper game here so you could kind of kid yourself like oh yeah I might just might just score a goal I then forget about five minutes (laughs) later as I would at five aside net eight in a 12-11 victory Dave I mean I'm going to keep banging away at this door um it's such a referee thing to do. You can spot it straight away with their socks pulled up, no shin pads, and their little flat feet just flapping around on the pitch. It's such a bad look. I don't think you can make it look good. I'd never, I'd never really considered that it was a referee thing before, to be honest. But yeah, you are right. And yeah, the referees obviously don't wear shin pads, do they? It's another thing I've never 
I don't know. I've never considered. Yeah, absolutely. They could have also, short socks. You imagine if they had like low socks. It would... <laughs> yeah, low sock referee just letting everything go. Let it go, referee. No, <laughs> um, yeah, I just there's no alternative to pulled up socks. I mean, they can't wear trousers. That would be worse. That would be that would become like boxing referees. Then that would be, that'd be absolutely <laughs> can't can't contemplate it. Right, fascination number three from our listeners comes from Tommy C. My niche football thing that i absolutely love is free kicks kind of 30 to 40 yards out out wide uh, kind of wider than the penalty box in swingers taken everyone misses it goes into the back post um and the player runs off celebrating i think my highlight of it is the keeper's bemusement that it's gone in um but yeah just absolute joy when that happens dave this is this is just mental i'm afraid I don't understand how anyone can find any satisfaction in this type of goal. No, it's a really disappointing sort of goal, I think. Even if your team scores it, it's obviously great, but it's it sort of feels... It does feel like you've sort of not deserved it, really. There's a corridor of uncertainty aspects to this. I mean, in some ways, you've exploited a, a paranoia in the opposition defence, but that's the extent of it. It's not um, as fluky as a, just a normal cross going in. No, no definitely no, not. No, no, well... I mean, I, I score. I've scored two of these goals in my career, and let me. And, it, and do you know? And do you know what's weird? It came. Do you remember there was this weird run where it happened quite a bit? No, I don't remember that run. <laughs> it was genuinely a thing. You're listening Zola, to HHG Extra. Yeah, Zola scored one for Chelsea, and it was at Stamford Bridge. So I'm not helping Zola. anyone out here uh, against Arsenal, and it was exactly that. And there was a cup, and I remember it being a thing of like, yeah, you know, you put it in the right area, you get runners across the goalkeeper. It's a nightmare for the goalkeeper. Oh no, question. It's it's at least fifty percent by design, Charlie. I, I'm. It's not a complete fluke. But I'm trying to establish a kind of threshold here for how much I don't like these goals. And let me put it like this. If I was on a flight or something and I got off and I checked the results and I found that my team had won 1-0 with a free kick that had bounced through and into the far corner, I reckon there's a 10% chance I wouldn't seek out the highlights and watch it. That, that's, that's, that's how <laughs> wait, much I dislike so them. Is this finally, you know, we talked about before of, and they've scored, it's a scrappy goal, but they won't care. Is this the exception to that rule? This is the one goal that you actually would care. I'm a bit annoyed we've scored with this. Well, and, and they do mind a little. If I'm exaggerating, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, Dave, but I would certainly put it below an opposition own goal in terms of goals I'm desperately seeking out to watch. Because there's a satisfaction in an own goal. And not only that, it's probably been created by some good approach play. This, there's nothing to it. Tommy C is deluded. There's a bit of intrigue with an own goal. There's a lot of variety in terms of what sort of own goal it might be. How do they contrive to do it? That sort of thing. But this is this is awful. I mean, even the aesthetics of it, Charlie. Let, let, let set aside the you know, the spiritual acceptability of it. Just the aesthetics of the ball bounce, especially if it bounces. Yeah, the bounce, it. which oh, it will. Uh, it should. I, it should in yes. this example. Otherwise, it's not really. It's something. It's a genuinely good free kick. Yeah. yeah. That, well, yeah. Or you've just really overhit it. Whereas the bounce is you've put it in the right area. Everyone's kind of gone and missed it. Yeah. Aesthetically, it's horrible. But I guess it is one of those beauties in the eye of the beholder. And there's something I guess quite satisfying about the fact that everyone's so befuddled. Like you've caused such mayhem with this cross that no one's even managed to get a touch. That's kind of crazy when you think how many people are in the box at this yeah. moment yeah. and no one's even got a touch on it. Tommy C's point, Dave, about the goalkeeper looking befuddled is, is very crucial to this particular type of goal because they stand there quite helpless, almost back on their heels a little bit, saying, whoa, I just couldn't expect this. Mm. Yeah, you, it never goes past a despairing dive of a keeper in this situation, does it? It's also, it's a good thing because a keeper doesn't have a specific thing to blame. It's just a kind of general sort of huffing and looking around like, how did that happen? Yeah. 
Exactly, but you can't you can't berate one player in the same way. Okay, I'm open to the idea that it might not be Dave the least satisfying type of goal. If not, what is? What is the least satisfying type of mainstream goal? Do you know what for me is 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 one I I think is just rub is getting a rebound off your own penalty and scoring. And the reason it annoys me is because in the record books it goes down as like a non-penalty goal and so looks a bit better. There's no pen by your yeah. name. It yeah. just looks like you're going to have scored a goal. And it's like that's that feels like it should be denoted. It, it, it should say. I think it should say. It's yeah. just having missed on live score. Other, there should be an icon for it, right? Yeah, yeah. I just think otherwise you're getting too much credit. Yeah, it's part of the penalty procedure, isn't it? I think a rebound should they should Opta should should categorize. If it's a it. rebound of your own, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Very good point. I think I think a heavily deflected shot is. Less sat- oh, yeah. is less satisfying than a than a free kick going all the way in, like a ludicrously like and and so much so that it's declared an own goal. Okay, okay, so yeah, that's where an own goal steps into the equation. Tommy C, sort your head out. So that wraps up our listeners' fascinations for Meza Highland Dicks this month. We'll be back in a moment with their irritations. Right, welcome back to Football Clichés. This is the listeners' Mesa Harland Dicks for November. We've done your fascinations, as weird as they got. Now it's time for your irritations. This one has been in the mixer for a while, actually, a few months. And uh, it came from Alex Sheedy. And I should point out that his selection has been read here by an actor. I personally have an utter lack of respect for football freestylers. Playing football, you should be across all forms of it, at least to a certain level, not just the bit that makes you personally look good to outsiders. It's like calling yourself an author because you've got nice, neat handwriting. <laughs> yeah, just giving it a little bit there, isn't he? <laughs> got, into the, got into the role. Yeah, yeah. Sort of De Niro-esque uh, immersion. But, um, Charlie, this feels like a perfectly acceptable thing to both enjoy and also find irrationally annoying football freestylers. Where should we place them in the football content landscape in 2023? What is their role? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I guess they've got in an age, supposedly, where people just want small clips. They lend themselves very well to that era because you, you can see them doing some absolutely mad stuff. So there's certainly a place for them. You know, maybe on TikTok with Keezy, you'd, you'd see them popping up. <laughs> I, I do have some... I, I remember when I was a kid and playing football and it becoming a bit of a thing like how many kick-ups could you do? And it used to really annoy me, partly because I couldn't do... Whoa, hang on a second. How many what? Kick-ups or keepy you, you say keepy-ups, yeah. Keepy-uppies. Keepy-uppies. What this did I like say? Molded to Levkin. Kick-ups. Kick-ups. Yeah, but as in literally... Just... That's what my mum would call <laughs> Well, I'm, I guess... I. I probably haven't changed since I was like six or something. Kick-ups. Yeah, just just kicking the ball up. But I remember it annoying me because I was like, this doesn't to me seem like the best way of evaluating how good someone is at football because when in a game are you just going to be doing kick-ups with no one challenging you? But it does imply a level of technical kind of... Yeah, no, I can see it helps with control, but I think it does stem from the same sort of thing. Or I remember there used to be people who would be obsessed with doing nutmegs. I was like, that's fine. I can see there's a fun and a novelty and you can say nuts or megs or whatever, but it's not that useful in a game. And often the, the nutmegs wouldn't even lead to anything. They'd give the ball away and still be celebrating a nutmeg. I was like, why are you celebrating that? You've lost the 
the ball. Dave, this is the exact same tone Charlie takes when he loses in any form of cliches quiz. You can sense it just in his voice. He has been nutmegged at some point. We should address this though, Dave, because there's no point in denying the appeal of these videos. And some of them have got like massive followings as well. And I, I certainly won't deny the appeal of these videos. They are football. They are football action. We should embrace it. Anything that's directly football related should be worthy of our of our appreciation i think because they are they are performing acts of football rather than you know spouting about transfer rumors or something it's good it's good content yeah i i disagree with alex here actually i i do actually have a, a reasonable amount of respect for for free football freestylers people who, who can pull these sorts of things off because there, there's a real craft to it i mean you know you, you see the finished product right we see these you know the hitting the crossbar smashing a free kick in from from all angles amazing touches you name it I mean, there must be the the takes that they must do to to get it spot on. Like, you really must have to work at it and properly know exactly where where to kick the ball, how to do it, the right amount of spin, the, all the stuff they have to do. It is quite impressive. Obviously, the big question is, as you say, it's like, can they actually play football? Well, that, and that's almost a separate issue. They probably it's part can. of the curiosity of the videos, though. Yeah, it is. It is, but it's like it's kind of by the by, really. It's not the point. The point is they're they're doing amazing things. And you can see, you know, it's evident that they are really good at kicking footballs. I sort of love to be one in a way. It must be really fun. <laughs> I must be really satisfied. You're doing yeah. really satisfying things all the time. You're hitting a ball cleanly all the time. But take, for example, Charlie. That Where's you, the end was... product, though? <laughs> well, no, speaking of that, I mean, you see the, the free kick ones all the time. Sort of, They're going through the various ways of, of hitting a free kick, like the knuckleball and the, and the curling over the wall or whatever. And you kind of think, well, maybe you could play at a really high level, but only in a way like that hockey guy used to do, where they used to bring him on. Callum Giles was his name. And he played for for Team GB, and they used to bring him on just for corners, because he was unbelievable at corners, and then take him straight back off again. So you can see it like a high-level Sunday League rolling sub situation, right? You're rubbish, but you can come on and take off free kicks and then come off again. I guess like that's why someone like Ronaldinho was such a joy for everyone, because he appeared to be both a kind of freestyle footballer, but someone who also was the best player in the world and scored loads of goals and could do all of that stuff as well. Because that's sort of the dream. Because I think the... And that's why there's a sort of... There's always a scepticism about really skillful players from a lot of people because there is an assumption that they are this sort of novelty act. And if you can somehow marry those two... I'm going to deploy the analogy that I always deploy in these situations, David. It's like the guy on Gladiators who got a 13-second lead in the Eliminator because he could pull trucks and then got absolutely smashed in the Eliminator because he was <laughs> built like a truck. Um, that's it. One-trick pony. Um, Dave, Roland, you said you, his name was Roland, yeah, I think, wasn't it? You always remember it. It's like, if we could do HHG for Gladiators, you'd be well up there. <laughs> Away at Wolf. Oh, dear. Right, um, Dave, you mentioned that, you know, in a parallel universe, you'd love to be a freestyle footballer. What is the one freestyler-type trick that you've always tried to do but never quite been able to nail? Uh, what's the one thing you always would attempt if you had a ball at your feet? Even like a rainbow flick for me. I'm getting it right like 60% of the time. For me, I try. I actually do try this quite a lot if I'm just like at the end of a game or, or a start of a game, if you're just knocking about on the pitch, it's to try and do a really good side kick like a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Is that in the freestyle of? I think, yeah, yeah, I think so. Like Distros. Feels a bit too functional. No, but like you do, you you would get it like uh, sort of end to end. Like they, they might not out, not out of their hands, but they'd like sort of flick it up and then side oh, volley yeah, like, it to okay. someone else. Phil yeah. Foden is responsible for 80% yeah. of this, uh, yeah. as I understand. Um, no, that's, that's actually good because it's like ASMR. It's really nice to watch. Charlie- there is something though quite annoying, isn't there? When you, when you are, someone sort of monopolised a ball and is trying to do that, like put it on the back of their neck. I can never, I can stuff. never do it. Really hard. It's yeah, re- really hard. I, I swear, my neck is just not designed for it. It's like it's, there's not enough of a cup for the ball. That really annoys me. Why can't I do it? Do you know what about the neck thing though? That surprises me is that sometimes you'll see like even footballers who you didn't think were particularly skillful just pull it out of the bag like in some sort of weird scenario where they're just knocking around with you know mucking about with the ball. They'll just do. They're showing off and they'll just do the neck thing. It's like. Do, do they all learn it? How- could every could every Premier League footballer do the neck thing? Surely, I would. I would. I would go with ninety nine percent because they essentially have five minutes a day minimum every day to just fuck around with a ball on a really nice pitch, a really nice ball as well, and and they've been doing that for seventy five percent of their life. So yes, is the answer. Um, here's I think this is the one I want. This is one I really want to nail. A fairly basic one, Charlie. Before I ever hang up my boots, is the you got the ball at your feet in a kind of kick around kind of situation and you back heel it onto your other foot to flick it up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've never been able to do it. And it, it just feels like, you know, the other foot is the perfect bridge for this. It's going to happen. But no, no, just can't get my other foot out the way after I've kicked it. Fuck it. I, th- I think, yeah, I think this is the root of why, and, you know, dating back to my six-year-old self, it's because I was never good at these. I found those set-piece skills always really hard. And so I'd be like, oh, let's, let's stop wasting our time with this. Let's just play proper football. Just jealousy that other people could do, like the neck thing and that thing you're describing. <laughs> oh, dear, the neck thing. Right, let's stick to amateur football woes. Here's Matt Buchanan. This is great. Hey, guys. Um, great to have the pod back. I was playing football the other day and I just wanted to see your thoughts on this. It was with a new group of people, so I didn't know anyone. And at the beginning, we just went in a circle you know to pass the ball around every time the ball came to me I just thought actually it feels like quite a stressful situation working out who you're meant to pass to next because you can't pass the person who's just passed to you you've got to kind of try and remember who hasn't had the ball for a bit but also I don't know if you can pass the person who's right next to you it feels a bit pointless when you're in a big circle anyway cheers Dave, Matt has got this spot on, by the way. It is an anxiety and it is something you have to have in your head, especially if you're a debutant as well, for some reason. I think it's an extra layer of anxiety here. He has got it exactly right. And I do think this should lead to a set of guidelines published for what you should do in a... I'm not going to call it a rondo because I don't think it is a rondo. There's nobody in the middle chasing it. So we won't call it a rondo. And that's. I'm glad we don't have to use that word. But the only bone of contention I've got with this is that he says you shouldn't pass it straight back to the person who passed it to you. I think that's actually an elite move in like passing circles before a game because it, it makes you look like a proper pro. You're, you're popping the passes then. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. proper Barca to me. Yeah, have it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like changing the direction. Yeah, because otherwise you just, it kind of just gets a bit boring. You have to do the same direction. It becomes like again a string, and again and again. And again. Yeah, and, I completely and, agree. Sometimes it depends what the formation of these sort of situations sort of plays out as, because sometimes there is a perfect circle and 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 it's sort of all going around nicely. But sometimes mm. there'll be just four of you, and there, but there might be, it might almost be like a rectangle situation. We've got one person quite close to you on one side, and two that's further away. Good and to have end, those two options. But you Absolutely. end up be, exactly. But you don't want to always play the five yard pass. <laughs> you want to go. You want to go long sometimes. Right. All things considered, Charlie, what is the least acceptable pass to perform? 
in a full like 11 player circle before a game like what's the least what's what's the one that's going to make you feel the stupidest well i think yeah i think going to the person next to you is is such a because i'm imagining a proper rondo with someone in the middle right okay it feels Fine. very safety first to do that yeah. and a little bit antisocial. but if you want to keep it going you do want to keep it going but you also want to give the people in the middle kind of something to get stuck into and so just keeping it really, really tight. Yeah, but if they've uh, pressed, if they have, if they've got out to you and they've pressed you, sometimes going to the going to the left or right is the best thing to do. And it annoys me when people don't do it. They try and pass it through a plate. Just pass it to me and I'll get it out. Yeah, proper pros do it. They've got no compunctions doing that. The thing that annoys me is that, you know, the first one's free rule. That's another kind of thing yes. to navigate. Where people will play sort of stupid <laughs> kind of hospital passes because they're like, well, first one's free. It's like, <laughs> yes, that's true. But you're still not helping anyone by doing a kind of silly one that, you know, could cause injury. It's dangerous. And the, the other tip I would give, if anyone is sort of new to a team and wants to show that they know what they're doing, is just to close the circle, boys. Just close yes. it in a bit, boys. It's getting a bit big. Because it shows that it's it's kind of selfless because you're saying it's getting a bit easy. And, yeah. you know, let's let's be proper about this, lads. Very easy win. I, again, there should be guidelines. There's the, you know, the... People should get the formula for pi out and work out exactly what is the largest circle you should be allowed to have according to the number of players. I was thinking, Dave, about what my go-to option is. Because if you're doing a passing circle before a game, and this is a non-rondo one, nobody doing pressing, it is just you know the early knockings of a, of a passing circle. I feel like I'm not really into it. I don't want to look like I'm taking it too seriously because there's not a lot at stake at that point. So my go-to option would be essentially passing to the person to a side of me. But... With a little, just a flick of the boot, little in-step flick, and it will either go to the person next to me or the person to the left of them, maybe. And I think that's an acceptable okay, because like, yeah, you're just flicking it, it's fine, it's all right. And if it's a bigger circle, you're not going to go long anyway, are you? So I think I my default would be going from like 5 p.m. to 2 p.m. So not di- not directly next to you, but just on the same side as you, just just straight across, cutting because- across the curve. Okay, like it. Yeah, that's, that's like a through ball, really. Charlie, there's another scenario here, which is when you've joined a new circle or the first circle or maybe a breakaway circle, which is not unheard of. And um, and you have to, you can't really announce your arrival in the circle. You sort of edge into your space. <laughs> and then, but then about five or six passes go by and you haven't been passed to. That's really awkward because you can't call for it because that's just not get a dumb the thing, is it? Just existing should be a call alone. Yeah, that, that does feel harsh. I think you can call for it. I think you can say yes, yes. No! It's a yes situation, I think. It's oh, not like... So if you're, if you're like, if you're a debutant... You I'm free, I'm free. <laughs> Here if you Completely need. Completely unmarked it. <laughs> Imagine if you hear if you needed in a casual pre-game circle pass. You'd be out the door. The other thing as well with these, with the rondos, is that you you praise or you get at your team if, if you if they keep being interceptions, that's always put down to kind of sloppiness on the part of the passers. You never really praise the pressers. It's always just a sign of laziness. You'd never be like, fuck me, you're really at it. It would be like, boys, we're not fucking switched on, we're not concentrated if we keep if if you do have those kind of quick fire interceptions. Um yeah, I don't think the pressing strategies of Sunday league rondos have really been thought through. I think it just it just becomes a ball of frustration. They just chase harder, but not clever. It's one of the worst feelings when you're one of the either the one or two people in the middle, and you, you're in a situation where you didn't you, you didn't get it early. So you, you've not really got close in the first two or three passes, and everyone's got into a rhythm, and you're just yeah. chasing it around like a dog, like the dog in in Toy Story when he's in between all the cars. 
you're just you just you can't do anything and you just you just know you're never going to get it but you just, how long do we go on for he's praying for someone to miss the you know to miss it a pass i take i take a kind of um geometrical approach to it i don't want to put blood to sweat and tears into it i want to shut down angles from a distance and it, people might think i'm not running enough but it's not i'm just judging the angles because i know i'm going to get one that's read what it the is. game yeah just exactly reading the game exceptionally well yeah I'm, I'm bobby moore i'm not james milner right Next comes Matthias Hernish. My footballing hate is when the goalkeeper leaves the area when they're punting the ball. So that little split second when they're about to kick it, but the ball is still in their hands or just leaving their hands and they're crossing the line at the top of the box. It looks terrible. I saw it once and I've never been able to unsee it since. It ruins the aesthetics of it completely for me and it serves no benefit for the keeper. We know that every pro keeper now can punt the ball 70, 80 yards. It's not like crossing the line for that one extra yard of gain is going to make any any difference so why ruin how the whole play looks for that one extra yard thank you charlie the only bullet point i wrote under this one on the running order was yes 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 it's absolutely right it's horrible to watch and this isn't just a kind of um my own team paranoia i'm frequently anxious that any goalkeeper i don't care who it is have handled the ball just outside their area when they're kicking it from their hands i don't understand why they would risk it but i can't bear to watch yeah, I'm trying to think which referee... Because I can't remember anyone ever really being penalised for this. It's so rare. It's so rare. But uh, but I also fear, Charlie, that this is... You know there's the recent furore of the ball not being over the line despite it actually looking like it is? I wonder if this mm. is just one of those situations where it looks like they're at the area. If, if anyone bothered to show me a replay, they actually, it's actually they're a yard in and then they've chucked yeah. it and kicked it. It's fine. Um, maybe I, my fears are unfounded. Charlie, a little bit of impromptu sort of uh, goalkeeping-based HHG for you. There, there has been a, a goalkeeper in the Premier League penalised for, for doing for handling the ball outside the box whilst kicking it. Can you remember who it was? With thanks to the Guardians, the knowledge for this one. Nice for this kind of for this offence of it's your goal kick and you're just um, or, or your your ball and you ball just... out of, ball out of hands, but went outside the box to kick it and um, got pulled. Oh, up. so. Uh, no, I, I was going to say, is it a Watford thing if you've remembered it? But you, from it's. Uh, from <laughs> oh, didn't you know? Uh, oh, you'd only have yeah. got it if it was Watford, Dave. <laughs> so, I thought it might be like there was a so famous pathetic. Ben Foster oh, one or something. Dig, isn't he? I'll put you out of your misery. It was Pepe yeah. Reina for Liverpool against Bolton in 2006. The assistant referee spotted him kicking the ball from hands outside of the penalty area. So it's their job, isn't it? Clearly, obviously. You know. So it's right. Yeah. And who was, who was, but replay showed that it was an incorrect decision. Oh, oh wow. wow. To go, you've got to get it right. And to that's add amazing, insult to injury, yeah. Gary Speed scored from the resulting free kick. Because wow. you'd think it would have wow. to be so egregious for you to actually do that as a linesman. Well, I, but this is a great example, Charlie, of one of those things where because it's not given very often, no matter if it's the right decision, teams are just immediately aggrieved by it. Because, well, oh, uh, it's yeah. never given. But what's yeah, up? that exactly. Yeah. But in this instance, it sounds like their indignance was correct. Yeah. Wow. Who Does it say who the linesman or referee was? Want to know. Really? Oh, we should interview him. No, it doesn't, I'm afraid. I'm no. going to find out. I'll find out. I won't revisit it on the pod, but I will find out for my own purposes. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's Rayner done here? The referee's assistant on the near side, Andy Halliday has spotted an infringement by the Liverpool goalkeeper who carries the ball according to the referee's assistant just outside his penalty area feels quite a Barclays thing to have happened actually I'm glad it was 2006 mm. um, yeah, yeah they, they, they don't need that hassle now can you imagine oh, oh imagine the can of worms opened by that because yeah oh, 
it's it's overhanging it. Is it overhanging it? Is it you know? Is it out of his hands? It's you know if you can't decide in in fourteen seconds, then what are you doing? <laughs> what get on with the game? Let him kick it. Right, great, great, great MHD selections from you lot this month. Can't wait to do it again in December. Well done to you, Charlie Ecosher. Well dissected. Well done, Dave. Cheers, everyone, for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday. Cheerio. Podcast Network.